You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And in this edition, you are going to hear from the Hall of Famer, Jason Stark from The Athletic. We'll talk to our buddy Mike Farron from SiriusXM and also the Arizona Diamondbacks. Jesse Rogers will join us from ESPN Chicago. And then Sarah Langs, one of the best follow on Twitter. You can read her on MLB.com. You see her on MLB Network. And she is one of our favorites. But we're going to lead off with a guy who's been in this business a long, long time, the Hall of Famer, Jason Stark. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's one of the best in the business. You see him on MLB Network for years with ESPN. Nobody better covering our game. And also with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. We truly appreciate it. Chris, my pleasure, man. How are you? Uh, you know, we're really fired up, and we recently just had FanFest, and I can tell you, the A's right now are a very, very confident bunch. Two straight years having won 97 games, two straight years getting bounced in the wild card game, but it just seems different this year, and especially with everything going down in Houston, I think 2020 is really looking up, and I can't wait for this rivalry between the Athletics and the Astros. Oh, it's going to be fun. Just just the presence of Mike Fires makes it fun. <laughs> and, you know, it's hard to know what the Astros are going to be, right? So that's that add, just adds intrigue to it. And I, I, mean, I, I think the A's are probably the least ballyhooed, potentially great team in the sport. So that's a fun little plot line, too. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people just they just haven't really paid attention to how well the A's have been doing the past couple of years? No, it's true. I mean, you know, the, the the fact that they did what they did in the shadow of the Astros obviously has something to do with it. The fact that you know their postseason ended in one day had something to do with it. You, you know, if you make that big October run. You get more eyeballs. You get more attention. People understand what they're watching, and you know, the A's are just like they've. I mean, they've just been one of the best kept secrets in the game. But that can change. You know, you get to write. You get to write a new story every year. So write it. There's no doubt about that, and and, and part of the story, as we mentioned, the Astros is also we think something may be happening with the Boston Red Sox. So, you know, two teams that normally would be favorites, you know, they could have a lot of a, a big cloud over them. What do you think is going to happen with the Boston Red Sox? Well, every indication is that, you know, Mookie Betts is going to get traded anytime now, you know, unless this all unravels. And, I, look, I'm sure Bloom will make a good deal, but it won't be a deal – about winning today. There's a lot of talent on that team. 
they have a huge swing on between what they could be if everything goes right and what they could be if everything doesn't go right. But uh, they—they're not the same team without Mookie Betts, obviously. Um, and then we'll have to see what else is involved in that deal. So that, nobody's going to pick them to win the East with the Yankees signing Garrett Cole. And I don't think anybody was going to pick them to finish ahead of Tampa Bay anyway. But that was a potentially super dangerous team if they kept Mookie. But that's not going to happen. Yeah, I can't. Well, how are Red Sox fans going to react when now they're actually acting like the Tampa Bay Rays and they're like the Tampa Bay Red Sox? I mean, <laughs> your best player, you, you charge more money than anybody for tickets. They've got a ton of money. I mean, how do you think Red Sox fans will react to Mookie Betts being traded? All right, they're, look, they're not the Rays. They're not acting like the Rays. That, that's not going to happen. But um, they are a team in transition, and they are a team with a million questions. I, I, I try to think back on last year this time, first week of February 2019. They were the defending World Series champs. They were coming off this incredible, historic season. Um, they had one of the the best man- young managers in the game, right? They had a they had a Hall of Fame general manager. They were loaded with talent all over the diamond. And think about where they are now. The manager's gone. Dave Dombrowski's gone. They're still waiting for this MLB investigation on sign stealing to wrap up. That could have an impact. Their best player is about to be gone. There's still an incredible amount of talent there, but why'd they hire Heim Bloom? It wasn't to keep the band together, and he's not going to keep it together. So it's just that time of transition. It happens. You went into a deep dive with our buddy Eno Saris, who's out here in the Bay Area for The Athletic, on the electronic sign-stealing scandal. <laughs> what exactly did you learn when you and Eno got into this? Well, deep dive is a good way to describe it, because that's what Eno and I did. We just we looked inside the Astros' numbers in... Looked at 2016, 2017, actually looked at 2018 and 2019 too, decided to really confine it to 2017 because that was the year where they did the trash can bagging scheme. And it was the year that the commissioner's office spent the most time detailing all the stuff they did in their reports. So we honed in on that year. The other, the other reason to hone in on that year was the numbers blew our minds. And like, you start with this. They cut their strikeouts by 365 strikeouts in one year. They went from a team that was striking out at one of the highest rates in the history of baseball to a team that struck out fewer times than any other team in the sport in one year. And, like, how can that not get your attention, right? But then, the one thing that I think we were hesitant to do throughout our study was just jump to conclusions. You know, there was a perfectly logical explanation that they they really did change a big chunk of their lineup. They brought in players who were who had a much bigger contact rate than the guys they were replacing, and they were much more aggressive in attacking pitches in the strike zone early in counts. We understood all that. But if that was the reason, 
Then the question was, how come they struck out so much less at home than on the road? They, they cut their strikeouts at home by 242 strikeouts. Wow. That's three strikeouts a game at home. No team in the live ball era has ever cut its strikeout rate by that much. Cut the road strikeouts too now, but by half that amount, 123 versus 242. So there was all that. And then the other thing that really caught our eye was how they essentially stopped chasing all, you know, just all the junk that pitchers try to get you to go fishing for outside the strike zone. Um, just like, just here's an example. Uh, we looked at breaking balls below the bottom of the strike zone. In 2016, Marlon Gonzalez swung at 40% of those pitches, chased 40% of them. And then a year later, he cut that down to 10%. And that's the, an example of the kind of stuff we found. It was eye-popping, man. It really was. Yeah, that's crazy. And... When, when, when you, reading your guys' article, and you did a great job, reading the article and, and, and seeing all these numbers, it makes me think, because I know the A's were one of the teams. I know for a fact the A's were one of the teams that complained to Major League Baseball. They said, hey, something's going on there. How if you win the World Series in 2017 and you have these eye-dropping numbers from 2016 to 2017, how can you possibly tell me they weren't doing it in 2018, 2019? Well, Major League Baseball did investigate this, and you know it. They found that the trash can banging stopped in 2018. And I know when we looked at the numbers in 2018, uh, they, you know, they were definitely still um, better than in 2016, right? They definitely there. There were some indications that they still knew what pitch was coming, but there wasn't anything as dramatic as 2017. Uh, 2018, they were doing what it appears a lot of teams were doing, and that is using video feeds in the replay room and using that to steal signs in real time and then relaying it through various methods, right? But we, you know, we, I think there's reason to believe a lot of teams were doing some variation of that until MLB stepped in and stopped it. And then 2019, you know, it's not included in the commissioner's report. Uh, so I don't know that that tells us they weren't doing it. It just tells us there was nothing that they were doing that was possible to document. But then that you know, 2019 puts them in a category with the other 29 teams too. Correct? Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, now people are realizing if you do it, you can lose basically lose your career. So we'll see what happens. Players didn't get a, uh, players didn't get hit, but I think if this continues to happen, we'll finally see that with players. You did a you did a great article talking about the future of baseball. You know what we're going to see, in, 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 you know, the next ten years. And I know something that our National League fans, like here in the Bay Area, who are Giants fans, they don't like it. But it seems inevitable that we're going to see a DH in both leagues. Yeah, I think so. And you know, one of the reasons is that you know, the, the, there's not that much that players and owners and front offices agree on. There's so many people in so many front offices now, even in the National League, who are ready for universal DH. That this is this is something when you get into labor talks two off seasons from now, 
I, I think is a big item for owners to trade for something they want. And so I, I'm, I'm sure that's going to happen. One of the fun wrinkles that I threw out there, because it's something that's been kicked around, is suppose you had a rule where you could only keep your DH until as long as your starting pitcher was in the game. And as soon as the starting pitcher came out of the game, you would lose the DH. Now, I'm assuming you could still keep that player in the game, right? Chris Davis could just go into the field if he was coming up next inning. But it would add a strategic wrinkle and might keep some of those fans of National League rules happy if you went to something like this. But, I mean, it's a long way from happening. Yeah, I I like how you put it where it's a negotiating tool, and that may be one of the reasons why the Astros players were told, hey, you give us the goods and we won't punish you. It's like this dance right now between Tony Clark and the Players Union and Rob Manfred and and Major League Baseball and Madison Avenue. It There's, there's this dance right now because – they haven't been getting along, but they need to get along because the last thing we, we want is, is labor strife. Too many people are making too much money to, 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 have, to, to not have games, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know whether there's a real appetite for a work stoppage from the players or not. Uh, you know, the last two off-seasons before this one, uh, Free agency was such a, a a mess and such a dysfunctional process that I think had that continued, uh, players would have been on the warpath. But after this off season, which was more normal and a lot of players made a lot of money, uh, that you know that could have changed. I mean, we're two years away, so it's really hard to forecast whether players are going to want to walk or whether they're. You know, if, if owners lock them out, what that's going to mean. Um, I, the, the, what's worrisome, though, is it's just hard to find any areas of agreement between owners and the union right now. I, I, I keep joking. Like, they they couldn't agree on what Starbucks to meet for coffee at right now. <laughs> and that's got to change. <laughs> and another thing for the players, uh, just talk about Chris Bryant. He loses his grievance about service time, how do you think this is going to play out in the next CBA? You know, they've got to talk about every aspect of arbitration and whether this system that goes back to the days of Marvin Miller of six years of service time before you become a free agent with arbitration kicking in and either you know after either two or three years, whether that's still working, um, I like I think there's a decent philosophical argument that there's something better out there, but could you possibly get there in this climate? I don't know. I, you know, that what happened to Chris Bryant has gone on for a long time and has affected a lot of players, not just him. He's just a marquee example of it. So that in and of itself isn't a strikeable issue, but the system in general doesn't work as well. It certainly doesn't work as well for players in their 30s. So it's just a, it's just a fluid, uncertain world that we're looking at. And I, I hope that somebody has a vision 
that we can all latch on. And players and owners alike can latch onto it, and that's the ticket to a no-work stoppage situation. But I don't have a lot of confidence in that, I have to admit. Jason, it's an absolute honor to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting, and we're going to get this thing going. <laughs> 2020 is right around the corner. Can't wait. And would love to have you on the program again. Chris, enjoyed it, man. Thanks. Happy spring training. Love talking to Jason Stark. Just his work for all these years, ESPN to The Athletic and also UCM on MLB Network. Jesse Rogers from Chicago, ESPN Chicago, stopped by A's Cast Live to talk about Chris Bryant. He lost his hearing. You know, that service time case that has been going on forever and it finally was decided. And what's going on with the Chicago Cubs? Because there's been that rumor that it's going to be Nolan Arenado for Chris Bryant. Here's Jesse Rogers. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on A's Cast Live. And we heard a lot about the Cubs this offseason going to be making moves. It's been a quiet winter. But it's starting to heat up for the Cubbies as they're about to head to Mesa, Arizona. Yeah, it's almost like, okay, it's February 1st, right? Tomorrow, Saturday. Um, for them, it's almost like December 1st. It really is. Their offseason simply got pushed way back for various reasons. Um, some of it had to do with this Chris Bryant grievance. I think a lot of it actually had to do with um, the fact that they're solely involved in the trade market this year. And um, as you even hear about Mookie Betts and the Red Sox, the trade market in general is happening later because I think that uh, teams were interested in the free agent market, which was pretty deep this year if you think about it. And, and it was pretty recently that Donald Josh Donaldson's finally, finally signed up, Nicholas Castellanos, uh, this week signed up with a team. So especially from the right-handed hitting perspective, um, there's been some free agents out there that I think teams were interested in. And now they'll move to the trade market and the Cubs have a couple that um, could be available, uh, righties and lefties. If you include Kyle Schwarber and uh, Chris Bryan and Wilson Contreras, um, uh, I'd be surprised I, I, here. I'll, I'll, I'll be a little conservative. I, I'll be surprised if, if all of those guys I just mentioned are on the team August 1st, but uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they were one of them was gone by by you know certainly April first. I think there's still movement to be had between now and the the opening of the season. There was a point this off season where this whole Chris Bryant arbitration thing came up, and I went, "My God, I forgot about that. That's still going on. Why did it take so long to get a decision?" It's a good question. Um, I think the arbiter just did not care about the timeline and really wanted to do a good job. I don't have a great answer. I've looked into it and uh, you know, he, he doesn't care about off seasons and you know, he was handed the case and he went through it and there were briefs and there was testimony. It does seem strange that it took this long. I don't even understand why, you know, this grievance was filed in 15 and they're, they're hearing it now. I'm I'm sure that was a timing ploy maybe um, since he's getting closer to free agency uh, is, is he going to be a free agent after next year or the year after? You know, it, it, it sort of came to a deadline. Like they needed to know. All sides needed to know. Um, but why it took so long this offseason, I don't exactly know other than the arbiter um, took his time with all the briefs and all the testimony that he had to go through. All right, so if we're talking a one-for-one, one, Nolan Arenado for Chris <laughs> Bryant, right? So you got the big contract, Arenado. Chris Bryant now won't be a free agent for not after this season, but the season after this. If I look at Nolan Arenado's numbers off the mountain, if I look at him on the road and I look at Chris Bryant's numbers, take Coors Field out, who's the better player? Well, Arenado's the better player only because of his defense. 
Offensively, I'm, I mean, it's kind of a wash because, again, take him out of Coors Field. We don't know what he would do 81 games somewhere else. But So I'm going to just say they're both elite hitters. You want to split hairs on one or the other as a hitter, fine. But Arenado is a generational defensive player. Let me state, I think Chris Bryant's a very good defensive player. Um, but Arenado is one of the best in the game. The other thing is Chris has come off of two injury-prone years. And you just want to make sure that he's going to have that solid, healthy, elite type of year in him where Arenado has had a couple in a row uh, while, while Chris has been injured. So I think most GMs would pick Arenado just in the moment and, and use defense as their reasoning. But you could, again, taking him out of Coors Field, you could, you could make a case either way. Um, I think the Cubs need to switch up. The, I think they want to switch up their lineup. Even if they were similar players, but just different people, like obviously literally different people, they might want that. Like they, they are stale in that clubhouse. So they just need, I'm not even talking about better personality. Worse, It's not that. Chris is a great guy. It's nothing to do with, it just has to do with new bodies. Like they changed, they, they went from a Hall of Fame manager to a first year guy and it was probably the right thing to do because they just needed to change things up. Things were getting stale since the World Series. So it's almost like they have to make a change for change's sake. But obviously, there's other reasons involved as well. Um, they're talking plenty of permutations to this thing that would include Bryant, Farinato, and you know, maybe other guys involved that would in, that would be you know different trades. Um, Arenado maybe to the Cubs, Bryant somewhere else. So there's a lot out there that's going on. A lot of phone calls happening. And I think it could continue into the season if it doesn't happen by you know by April 1st or March 26th or whatever. One of the great lines this off season. You don't bring in Rossi if you want to bring in a puppet. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I, I wrote about Rossi the other day. I mean, this guy is working his butt off to get ready to be a manager. This is not just something he's doing on a whim, as, as you would imagine. No, no, no person that takes this job would do that. Um, so uh, no puppet here. Now, he's going to, you know, ask for advice and take advice from the front office. I mean, he should. Um, but but this is not a guy that's going to be given lineups and told when to pull bullpen guy you know relievers and all that stuff. Um, Theo has never believed in that. He has never believed in that. And and here's the thing: if he and I even said this to Theo, if Theo believed in in managing the manager, then he would have pulled rank on a guy like Joe Madden. He and I even said that to Theo: look, you can do it if you want. He goes, that's not what I do, because once the players realize the front office is pulling the strings then you've got problems in that clubhouse. And he doesn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that with Joe, um, even though I think he disagreed with some of the tactics that Joe was employing. And I don't think he's going to do that with Ross either. I, I believe that. Maybe I'm being naive, but I believe that. I think Theo believes in some autonomy here. In fact, he has complained in his own publicly that he's had to deal with players more than he wanted to. He, he's flown to uh, homes in the offseason more than he's wanted to. I mean, there should be some separation of powers between the suits and the guys in uniform, and I think Theo has felt like he's he's put it, he's had his hand in the mix a little too much. So I think he'd like to back off and let David Ross take over in terms of the players. So we'll we'll see if that comes to fruition. I think it will. Oh, I can tell you, we lived that before Bob Melvin got here. Uh, you know, once the players know that the manager is not the guy making the moves, the clubhouse absolutely flips. So. You're dead right on that as we lived that years ago here with the Oakland Athletics. And tell me the temperature of Cubs fans because they're looking down at the south side and the White Sox making a ton of moves. Uh, how are Cubs, fe- Cubs fans feeling about this offseason? Well, they're not happy. But let's, let's, let's not forget there was a time for three years that the Sox weren't making moves. 
and the Cubs were gobbling up everyone, Hayward, Darvish, Lester. So, I mean, you got to look at the life cycle of a team sometimes. I, I, I do agree with that. Not every offseason. The, 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 the weird problem with this team is they should be sort of like World Series contenders with this core of talent, and you, it doesn't feel like they are. And now how much more can they spend? They, the top, one of the top three payrolls the last few years, they just paid the luxury tax. So let's, let's, let's not forget the, uh, what the Sox didn't do for three or four years while the Cubs were winning. And now that's, it's the Sox turn to do some things and the Cubs kind of have to retool. And I actually did an interview with Jed Hoyer yesterday, the GM. And I, and I wondered out loud if, if maybe, you know, this would be crazy and radical, but maybe you just try to rebuild again. I mean, when, when you reach this point in your cycle as a team, salaries are rising through arbitration free agencies around the corner for four to five main guys maybe you should sell off and start over again it's it's we don't talk about the end of the cycle we only talk about the beginning of a rebuild and then of course if you win we talk about that we don't talk about what comes next and what comes next could be falling off that cliff if you're not careful or treading water if you're not careful and that's the position the cubs are in so they really need to win or they really need to retool they really need to rebuild you know they they, they, they don't have – there's no in-between here. And um, so the White Sox at the beginning of coming out of rebuild, the Cubs are kind of at the end of it, and at least they have a World Series title to show for it. We like to play a game called buying or selling on this show, and I want to play it with you with one question. Buying or selling, the Cincinnati Reds are now the favorite in the Central. Buying. I didn't even hesitate. Buying. Wow. I know, if you, when, I know when you win the winter, it doesn't necessarily mean you win the summer. But in this case, I think they plugged the holes where they needed to. I really do. Um, there's a team, if you, you know, Joe, if you watch them, they were not as bad as their record the last couple of years. So now, I mean, you, know, you have to prove it, obviously. But two years ago, they had a great hitting club. Last year, the good pitching club. I think it's time for them to put it together. I like the additions they made. You know, chemistry is important. I, like, I do like David Bell. Now he's got a year under his belt. Um, I'm buying. I'm buying. In fact, in fact, and again, it could just be the time of year. You know, I think they win the division this moment by three, four, five games. I think they sort of can pull it. They're that good, um, and, they, and they can do it. Yeah, I'm buying. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting central. By the way, your guys' ballpark in Arizona, I try and tell people all the time, because the A's, we go over there all the time. It is really the coolest ballpark. It's like one of those minor league ballparks. You're like, I could go to this ballpark every single day. It's so cool. Yeah, what's amazing is um, what they draw. I mean, it is more, and I, you know, you guys with the A's sometimes have some issues. I know, but so it is more. They draw more in spring training than the Marlins do in the regular season. It's it's quite amazing. Fifteen thousand a game, and they would fit twenty if the if the stadium could fit it. I like it. I do like Colorado and Arizona. Um, you guys are in the old Cub place, so I kind of got tired of that. You know, I'm I'm sort of glad we moved on just because, you know, a little change up. And, of course, everybody likes the Giants out there. So it's not just the Cubs, but obviously it's one of the newer facilities, and uh, Cub fans just flock to it. It's, you know what I love? And you know what I love about spring training is it does have a football feel to it with the, with, the, with the tailgating. I think that's really cool. And the Cubs setup is really cool. Um, their practice facility is about mm, 60, 70 yards from the stadium, and players have to walk in between to get – to, you know, to go in between places, and in between is where play, uh, play, uh, people tailgate. So they're tailgating as they're seeing their favorite players walk to the stadium or come out of the game and go back to the practice facility. It's got a real cool feel and setup to it, and um, I, I just it's amazing what they draw and, frankly, what they charge for tickets. 
um, <laughs> you know, over spring training. It, 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 I mean, seriously, it's, it's, I used to pay, pay that to get into, the, into regular season games, good seats for the Cubs. Now you need to pay that to get into spring training games. I could not believe down the right field line how big the team store was. Like, their team yeah. store is as big as, like, most teams' team stores at the big ballparks. I mean, if you're a Cub fan, they've got everything you could possibly think of in that team store. Yeah, they really do. It is amazing. And um, and they've done similar to Wrigley Field. They've completely renovated that. They've got bars and clubs that you never thought could be built in there. And, I mean, they have made the most out of a small, old ballpark and um, plenty of places to buy memorabilia. So, I mean, in my six, seven, eight, seven years, I guess, covering the Cubs, we've gone from Ho-Ho Cam and Fitch Park, like two different facilities, uh, what is it, like a mile apart, whatever it was, um, at spring training to a brand-new uh, facility there, Sloan Park, and then at Wrigley Field went from this old antiquated park to a brand-new facility and, and neighborhood in the span of five, six years there. So it's And, and then you add a World Series to, title to it. So nobody can can complain. The Cubs have had a nice run, but again, it's what have you done for me lately? And it's it's a, it's a team that's been going the other way. Um, the one thing, if you're a Cub fan, if you know your history, first year managers here have done pretty well with with decent talent. Um, Dusty Baker made the playoffs in his first year. Lou Pinella made the playoffs in his first year. Joe Madden made the playoffs in his first year. And that's in the last decade or two, so it's kind of recent. And here's David Ross, a lot of respect already before he walks in the door. So uh, here's my bottom line. The Cubs as an underdog might be the best thing to happen to them. Like, let, let everybody talk about the Reds. Cubs haven't been an underdog in a half decade. That might serve them well. Jesse, great stuff. We appreciate it. We'll see you down at spring training. Okay, really respect the A's. So good luck with you guys as well. Take care. That would be a very interesting trade if you really think about it. You know, what would Nolan Arenado's numbers look like if he played 162 games? Well, he'd play some games in, in, in Coors Field, but the majority of his season would not be in Coors Field. How would that change his numbers? And then on the flip side, what does Chris Bryant's offense look like when he plays 81 games at Coors Field? A swap of third baseman. We'll see if that finally comes down. Our buddy Mike Farron from Sirius XM and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Always love catching up with him. He's the host of the Power Alley. He is the host of my new favorite show called the Power Alley. Mike, I've been talking about you all day. How have you been? Haven't seen you since San Diego. How's life? I, it's great, although I have to say that I'm a little disappointed that if you've been talking me up and I didn't get my way on the show card, what does Dave Cavill have over me? Um, that's a great point. <laughs> Scratch Cavill, it's fair and all day. All right, so I got to tell I, I told I told your partner Jim Duquette. So uh, I, I I got a new car. And obviously, when you get a new car, you get Sirius XM. And I didn't have it in my old uh-huh. car. And I, 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 I'm a commuter, so I, I take these cars to the brink. My old car almost had 300,000 miles on it. I had to get rid of it. So I get in, So I want to prove to you that you are my new favorite show. As I take my kids to school, they go, oh, my God, we got to listen to this again? I go, yes. And you guys were, bre- <laughs> you guys were breaking down the Mets today. We were, yeah. Steve Gelbs was helping us out, but talking about, I think they're a pretty interesting team. I mean, they're they're good. They they won what? I don't have it in front of me. I think it was eighty-seven games last year, and that was with a, a rough bullpen. And I think they've got a deep rotation and and uh, you know a solid offensive team. They're a really intriguing uh, squad, and I think they have a chance to 
to compete with the Braves. I mean, I think we, we love to play like the LOL Mets game, right? Like that there's always some sort of goofiness that seems to happen with the Mets. And I think part of that's just being the way that they're covered in New York. But like that's a talented squad that has a legitimate chance. I mean, I, Steve made a good point today, and the, the way their lineup shakes out, like Robinson Cano's going to get sixth. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, and, and the pitching that they have, and I and I want to tell you this too. I, I'm addicted to your guys' channel. It's channel 89 for me in my car. The tribute you did for Tony Gwynn was phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was uh, we did that with the uh, All Star Game in San Diego a couple of years ago. And we, um, um, you know, we've had a, a real great opportunity the last several years to do some kind of cool specialty programming based around um, all-star games. So we got to be a part of the Gwynn special. This last year we did something on the movie Major League. Um, I'm not even sure what we have planned yet for the Dodgers next year, but we've had some some pretty cool things that have happened over the course of the last couple of years, and it's it's nice. I mean, you know, I mean, Tony, you guys have a, a freedom there to be able to create unique programming is a lot of fun, and we have some really talented producers that really drive the bus on that. You know, a, a very interesting article in the Athletic by our friends Eno Saris and Jason Stark. Just talking about 2016 Astros versus 2017, it is so hard for me to believe that Major League Baseball put out there that, oh, this was 2017, that the Astros hitters struck out a ton in 2016, and ever since then, they don't strike out in 17, 18, and 19 like they used to. It's so hard for me to believe that you use this technology, you won a World Series, and then you said, you know what, guys, we're not going to use it in 18 and 19. I have such a hard time believing that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on, on you know, whether or not they were seeing benefit, if more teams were onto the idea, because certainly you, you heard rumors that the, the Astros were uh, stealing signs. And you listen, this is not to absolve anybody else in this. We, you hear that about a lot of teams, right? Like, oh, they're doing it. Um, and so you wonder if teams were more cautious going in. Um, and if that's one of the reasons why they stopped did stop doing it in 2018 is because they weren't getting the benefit because teams um, were um, were more aware of what was going on or, or had an idea of what was going on or were more paranoid about things that were going on. So um, I'm not sure whether or not they did or they didn't. I think that that article was interesting. I was like Rob Arthur's article from yesterday in Baseball Prospectus was interesting and in talking about how um, they may not have benefited that much on a swing, no swing percentage. And um, you know, I tried to press Rob a little bit on it because I, I would think that you know, if you're, I mean, you know this, if you're, if you're going to see more off-speed, have a better idea of when off-speed is coming, you're probably going to take and maybe get yourself into better advantage counts, and that's something I think that they're going to continue to research at BP. So, um, you know, like I, I think the fact that they, that they, you know, got caught now, you know, hopefully means that we're playing a little bit cleaner in the future. But I don't know that you can say for sure in 18 or 19. I, I do think that it's. The worst part of it is that, like, you know, we're talking about some really, really talented players that probably didn't need this anyway in order to succeed. Uh, and to watch that continue, you know, as it's gone on over the last couple of years, or at least bring the last couple of years into doubt, I think is a real, you know, I mean, they've done it to themselves, but it's a real disappointment. 
you know, we'll see in spring training when the national people show up and start questioning them, and we'll see what happens. You know, they're, you know, are they going to apologize? Are they going to admit to anything? Are they going to? We'll, we'll see how they handle it. But the the first two series for the Astros, it's going to be fascinating. I think we're all going to be talking about it. The first series of the year for them is at Anaheim. Second series is up here in Oakland. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna hear it, and there's already a group of Dodgers fans that have uh, decided that they're gonna make the trip uh, up to Anaheim to <laughs> taunt the Astros. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why their Dusty Baker hire was so important because I think Dusty's gonna do a good job of keeping a lot of those questions uh, and a lot of the attention off their players, and that they're gonna try and go out there and play. But it's gonna be it's gonna come up a lot. It's gonna be there's gonna be a huge focus on it. Over the course of the season, they're going to have to answer all sorts of story, uh, all sorts of questions of, of it. It's just not going to go away, and really, nor should it. I mean, unless you get the apology that you feel, really feel like you want or need from it. I mean, they, they did this to themselves, and they have escaped punishment in the eyes of Major League Baseball, and, and they should have to answer for it everywhere they go because they clearly cheated. Yeah, and I use A-Rod as a great example. Like, A-Rod lied and lied and lied, was suspended, and then he came out and said sorry. And now he's one of the faces of baseball again on on Sunday Night Baseball and on Fox doing pre and post during the playoffs. All he had to do was say sorry and we're forgiving. We'll tear you down, but if you say sorry, we forgive you. They need to go the A-Rod route. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. I think so, too. I mean, I, I didn't even think A-Rod's apology was as good. Like, I think the better example is also is almost Jason Chiambi, right? When Jason Chiambi was accused in the Balco you know, investigation, he basically he said, I'm sorry. He's like, I made mistakes. I was terrible. You know, this was a terrible idea. This was awful. I'm sorry I did it. And Jason Chiambi was one of the most beloved players throughout that last portion of his career that you could find. And I think that that's – I think it's when you make a mistake, if you're willing to own it, um, that's the key. We haven't seen the Astros players own it yet. Their owner says that they're going to own it. Um, we'll see what happens when they get to camp in West Palm. Let's get into your division. How about the D-backs making a ton of moves since the last time we've talked? Yeah, it's been a busy winter. Um, it's been fun. You know, we, we touched a little bit, I think, last time we were together was at the winter meetings, right? We actually got yeah. to see each other face-to-face. I get to see your beautiful face. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, we, the, had, we had beers in San Diego. <laughs> We did. We did. You even bought them, which I couldn't believe. I'm very <laughs> impressed. Yeah, so that Easecast money is going to work. Oh, well, so. yeah. We, we, we have a very large budget here. Um, uh, actually, actually, it was dipping into Uncle Townie's money is what it was. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, you just had a trade with the Pirates. You got Madison Bumgarner. Mm-hmm. I, where do you see the D-backs 2020 compared to the Los Angeles Dodgers who really haven't done a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure that the Dodgers needed to do a whole lot. I mean, I think that's kind of the position that they're in, is that they're you know, they're out front of everybody by a fairly wide margin, and everybody has to do something else to catch up. And that's not just vision, but I think in a ta- from a talent level in the National League, too. So um, I think the Diamondbacks have certainly positioned themselves better with Bumgarner, with trading for Starling Marte, with a couple of key bullpen additions. You know, they brought in Stephen Vogt, and they – uh, brought in Cole Calhoun, and um, you know, like I think they're a better, deeper team than they were. But I think that they're still in transition till their next good core of young players comes up. 
Um, I think they will be competitive uh, in the division. Again, I mean, they won 85 games last year. I think they can be in that 85 to 88, 89 range as it stands right now, which puts them in the mix for a wild card. Um, And I think that there is a chance for some internal improvement, too. I mean, I think a full season of Zach Gallen will be really impressive to watch. Um, I think if Luke Weaver is healthy, he was having a fantastic year before he hurt his elbow last season. And if he's able to pitch healthy this year, I think he's got a chance to really take another leap forward. You've got a walk year for Robbie Ray. So the starting pitching, um, you know, I think is going to be pretty good overall. Uh, and then if the offense can be a bit more consistent than it has been the last two years, then they, they should find themselves right in the mix for postseason birth. But they've got to make up 21 games on the Dodgers. And even though the Dodgers really haven't done much this winter, uh, they still have a really talented group. And, you know, if they're, if they're one of those two teams that is in the mix for Mookie Betts, and if they add him without really subtracting much of value from their major league roster, that's going to make them that much better, even though they've been quiet so far this winter. I just, I, I wonder how it would work. Cause we've been joking around with this whole Mookie Betts thing to LA. It's like, you got the, the, the Tampa Bay Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Red Sox and negotiating. Well, they're both run Heim Bloom and Friedman. They're, they're, they both do business the same way. So how could they possibly get a deal done when they both have the same exact mentality? Well, I think that I mean, I think that that can be helpful. I mean, like if you understand where the other person is coming from, I mean, I think that makes it easier. And I think the Dodgers have a far greater uh, ability to take on you know, the financial uh, commitment to you know, Mookie Betts and maybe more than any of the other teams do right now. I mean, where their position payroll-wise, I mean, they can take on a bunch and not even get to the competitive balance tax threshold. So, um, you know, I don't know that that necessarily is a hindrance in it. I mean, to me, I think the bigger hindrance from the Dodgers standpoint isn't that those two know each other. It's that the Padres are probably the more desperate team. I mean, they're a team that really has been told, like, you need to take a big step forward this year. And they have an aggressive general manager who has a history of making trades with Heim Bloom from when he was the, the, um, you know, the number two man in Tampa Bay. Um, so they've got a relationship there. And they, have, they are the team that has the need, uh, the greater need probably for Mookie Betts. I mean, if the Dodgers don't add Mookie Betts, they're still really, really good. If the Padres add Mookie Betts, then we're going to start talking about them in, in the wild card mix as well. And I think that they they realize that. So um, I'm not sure that it's necessarily the fact that that you know that Bloom and Friedman speak the same language because they work together in in um, in Tampa Bay. And, and you know Friedman's background is a little different than Bloom's. Bloom's basically worked in baseball his entire life. You know from an internship to uh, after leaving Baseball Prospectus to to being you know in the Tampa Bay front office for a long time. Whereas Friedman came from Wall Street. So. I mean, I think that there are probably they they know each other well enough that they know you know how to talk to one another, and I think that they could consummate a deal. But I just don't think that in the end, like if which got which team is going to push in one more chip to get the deal done? There's no reason for the Dodgers to do it. There's many more reasons for the Padres to do it. Now you do a show with the GM, so I know you talk a lot to to Duke about how to get deals done. Uh, do you like the idea of Arenado for Bryant flipping third baseman? Do you like that for the Cubs, and do you like it for the Rockies? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into this. I mean, first of all, Arenado has, well, he's unhappy, he has a full no-trade clause. He's got an opt-out in two years, and he has a, a contract that even if you were to swap for somebody like Bryant, would push the Cubs, I believe, above the second uh, competitive balance tax threshold, which – 
would be a lot. So I don't know that you could just do a trade like that straight up, even though both of them may be controlled for two more years. I like the theory of it from Colorado's standpoint in that, hey, listen, if we're going to trade our franchise player, we need to get a great player back in return because our goal is to remain competitive over the course of these next two years. And it would theoretically free up some more money. Now, there's some other ways that you could go with it. Um, you know, Tyler Chatwood would help even things out a little bit. His best seasons were in Colorado. He knows how to pitch in that ballpark, sinker baller. They could use some rotation depth. You know, if they wanted to add somebody, you know, like say an Albert Almora Jr. because they, they felt a little bit undermanned in center field uh, and it would give them a right-handed hitting option that they could pair with, with, you know, the guys that they have. Maybe they could do something like that. I mean, I think that there are other ways to make this work beyond just Arenado for Bryant, but I think the odds are overwhelming that it doesn't happen. I, I mean, I think it's really tough to, because of all those factors, to trade Arenado right now. I think it's likely to happen at some point. I mean, if it doesn't, you know, you have to think that he's going to top out in two years. But the Rockies kind of missed a window in this and what they've been doing this winter in that one of the reasons why they were entertaining Arenado talks at all was to try and find ways to improve their major league roster because they have a very definite window of contention right now, and they're coming off a 91-win year. Most of their core guys are going to be a year away from free agency or at free agency when Arenado's opt-out comes up, including Trevor Story, who's two years away, who I think is one of the more underrated players in the National League. They don't have a particularly deep lineup despite their run score totals because they play their home games in course, so that's always going to elevate that. I actually like their starting pitching despite their struggles last year. I think they have two, at least two and maybe three if Kyle Freeland bounces back quality starters. And they need some more arms to be able to throw at the bullpen problem, and they haven't been able to do anything. They haven't signed a single major league free agent to a contract this winter because they are up against it payroll-wise. And that was, to me, if you want to be able to spend that money, you need to make that move, that decision on a big move, whether it's Arenado, another one of their big contracts earlier in the winter than doing it on January 31st. All right, Super Bowl Sunday. What's the one thing you got to have food-wise to make your Super Bowl party? Oh, boy, that's a good question. I mean, it all depends on whether or not I'm cooking or not. If I'm cooking, then it's got to be ribs, but I'm not cooking this year. My wife makes, and these are incredible, they're buffalo chicken wontons. So think like crab rangoon, but with buffalo chicken dip in the middle. Wow. They're awesome. Like they 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 go like that at every party we ever go we go to. It's amazing. So oh, you got you got to send the recipe. Those over to the neighbors. You got to send yeah, the I, recipe, dude. It's easy. It's just to make the buffalo chicken dip like you find online. Yeah, and just spoon it in the middle of a wonton and pan and fry it up in a little bit of oil and go. Wow, super, simple, super delicious. Look yeah. at look at your wife. That's 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 we eat good here. That's called big league right there. <laughs> We're big league. You see me. We're big league eaters. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you like on Sunday? You like the Chiefs or you like the Niners? I, you know what? I don't follow professional football closely enough to to really have a strong opinion on it. I just know from my previous life when I did, Andy Reid was always a really terrific guy to deal with, and I would be happy for him um, if he if he uh, you know won a Super Bowl. Plus, Pat, Pat, Patrick Mahomes Jr. is just unbelievable. So. I know it's probably not popular in the Bay Area to say that you're, you're rooting against the Niners, but I've always had a little bit of an affinity for the Chiefs. I'm a Midwesterner. 
I got a lot of uh, uh, family that's from there. My cousin worked for the Chiefs like back in the John Makovic days. So <laughs> got a little bit of a rooting interest there. But, um, you know, I, I think I think I will likely be pulling for them, but I couldn't tell you whether or not they should be favorites or not based on what's happened this season. So, My favorite show, Power Alley on Sirius XM. I listen to it every single morning. You are the best. We'll see you down at spring training and beers on me again. We'll see you down in the Valley of the Sun. Sounds good, and thank you for brown nosing. Oh, by the way, I'm supposed to tell you, Todd in Arizona uh, wanted me to give you a shout-out. He sent me a DM. He, he listens all the time. So we've got A's fans here in Arizona that wanted to let you know they're listening. I, well, I'll be down. So, you know, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to play Cleveland in Vegas for two days, and that's uh-huh. I think that's February 29th, the 1st, and then I'm going to fly back to Arizona with the team. So let's hook up uh, down in Arizona first week of March. Awesome. Look forward to it. Mike, one of the really good guys in baseball, and we finally got to meet him face-to-face down at the uh, winter meetings. The commander and I had a couple beers with him while we were in San Diego, and we had some fun. And you know how much we love Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, Sarah Langs and Paul Himikides, Himbo, two best researchers on baseball. Follow them on Twitter. They're second to none. But here is Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs joins us. Sarah, how was your Super Bowl party? Um, it was, you know, pretty small. Uh, my mom is a big 49ers fan. So, you know, was just sitting there hoping that they could win it for her. And unfortunately they were unable to do that, but you know, it's always fun. And I didn't watch a whole lot of the NFL this year, really until the playoffs. So, you know, fun to tune in now. Yeah. That's just so funny with some baseball people. They just, you're so into baseball year round. Like we had Mike Farron on from uh, MLB, Sirius XM. He works for the Diamondbacks and we were talking about it on Friday with him. He's like, yeah, I haven't really watched a lot of baseball. (laughs) I mean, watched a lot of football, but uh, everybody always gets together. Now, tell me what, what is the connect? Cause your mom's a big Giants fan. What did did she grow up out here? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Um, she, the family actually very famously moved, um, to the Bay area in 1958 when the giants did. And I believe from my grandfather who told me, you know, until I was probably like 10, um, that that was because the team moved. It was not, it was because my grandfather got a job out in the Bay area, but I I thought they moved with the baseball team, but you know, so my mom, uh, my mom spent most of her life growing up in the Bay Area, and that's where all of those teams come from, which have served her well, you know, especially in the last decade. Even though the 49ers lost last night, you know, they were they were there, which I think is an accomplishment. And obviously from the Giants and everybody else, she's gotten some, some good title runs. So I, I've been kicking this around today. If Mookie Betts gets traded, it is so rare to see a great player. Obviously, he's a top five player get traded from, mm-hmm. from a major market team in his prime. Like, I, I think Babe Ruth, uh, one that I've just kind of thought of that's a possibility. Maybe Mike Piazza with the Dodgers. He was traded to the Marlins yep. and then went to your Mets. I mean, this is very yep. rare to see a primetime player playing for a big market team that has money and get traded. Yeah. You know, uh, I was actually just talking about this a little while ago, and there aren't even that many former MVPs who've been traded. Obviously, we, you know, brought that stat out just about how many there have been. 
Um, I mean, Josh Donaldson was traded two years ago in kind of like a waiver deal. We had Andrew McCutcheon, and then obviously the big one in recent memory was Giancarlo Stanton, but none of yeah. those were, as you said, uh, big market to big market. It, it, it's interesting. I mean, it tends to be – it feels like a lot of those kinds of trades that we've seen lately have been, you know, a really great player makes his name for himself on a smaller market team. And then when we get to this point of, oh, we're not sure we can pay him, then he ends up traded elsewhere. Um, and obviously this is different from that because we're talking about the Boston Red Sox, not, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates getting rid of Andrew McCutcheon or anything else like that. So it's very interesting. I really don't know what the precedent would be. Also, I mean, you know, these kinds of trades, I feel like are the December trades. These are sort of the winter meetings trades, those kinds of blockbusters. I think that the idea that this is gaining steam, we're seeing reports that it could happen any day now. I mean, this isn't a February 3rd trade in my mind at all, but this has been a very atypical off season. We're talking about a team that still doesn't have their manager yet um, potentially making this trade. So it's just very unprecedented all around. If you ask yeah. Me. I mean, think about it. No one would believe you if you had said a few years ago, hey, listen, the Boston Red Sox are going to fire their GM before the end of the season, and they just had won the World Series the year before. Then that offseason, their manager is going to get fired in a scandal. They're going to bring in a guy from Tampa to run the team. They're going to trade their best player in his prime and they don't even have a manager to stand up in front of the team at spring training. If you would have said, if you would have said that a couple of years ago, people would say, "Oh, you're crazy. That would never happen." Yeah, it's it's just such an interesting confluence of events. Because the truth is that even if those, even if they had not gotten rid of Dave Dombrowski, and even if you know the signs billing scandal stuff hadn't happened it really felt like we were still headed for months of Mookie Betts trade talk, even regardless. You know, I think it felt this way in July before we knew that Dave Dombrowski wouldn't be with the team anymore or anything about Alex Cora, any of this going on. But for all of this to happen, I, I just, I'm, I'm completely at a loss, honestly, but very, very interested to see what happens. I am looking at some of these former MVP trades. And when Alex Rodriguez was traded to the Yankees, um, after he had been on the Rangers, that did happen in February. That was February 16th. Um, so that is right around when pitchers and catchers start reporting, you know, historically. Uh, so I guess that's kind of our precedent for the month and time. And looks like Ken Griffey Jr. was traded uh, from the Mariners to the Reds in maybe early February as well. But those trades were not from a Boston to Los Angeles market, as you're saying. Yeah, you know, like that. We're uh, uh, for me, it's like you got to be. It's either got to be, it's got to be New York, it's got to be Chicago, it's got. I'm talking about major markets where teams yeah. have big money. You just don't see this. Speaking of major markets, your New York Mets, you know, kicking it around the National League. There's like 11 teams that are going to be. They think they're going to be pretty good. The American League is just a handful of teams, but the National League is going to be tough. How tough is the NL East going to be this year? Yeah, I mean, even just pitching alone, I mean, even not talking about guys like Pete Alonzo and, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., all, all of these guys, Juan Soto, you know, that are on these teams. I mean, just pitching alone, you know, the Phillies got – Zach Wheeler, he stayed in the division. He had a pretty good year last year. He's certainly not on the ace level, but then you're talking about the reigning World Series champions who have two and a half aces. I think Corbin is not quite ace level, but he can be on certain days. You're talking about, you know, the Mets constantly, I mean, constantly 
entering a season thinking that maybe the the rotation will be really good. And even if the entire rotation isn't, there's Jacob deGrom who's won back-to-back Cy Young. You've got the Braves with Mike Soroka and, you know, their young core. Maybe Max Fried will finally have that, you know, breakout that some people were expecting and hoping for last year. It's really something. And, and the Marlins are not good, but they're not exactly the doormat. I don't think that they were last year. I mean, they, they made some – interesting little acquisitions they got Jonathan VR they got um Jesus Aguilar you know so they have some guys who are going to match a little bit more than I think they had you know certainly last season when they won 57 games so it's just a really interesting division I'm not expecting the Marlins to even do you know what the Reds did in the central last year but I I think that they could win 60 plus games and every game that they win more is potentially um, you know, the, the loss of a win for those teams in the division with how often these guys play each other. You know, we play a game here on the show called Buying or Selling, and you mentioned the Cincinnati Reds and the improvement. Buying or selling, they're the favorite in the Central. You know, I I just – I think I'm not buying it yet. I think I'm still selling it right now. I, I love these kinds of turnarounds. You know, it's like it, – it's a little different because it's a little bit more players they've signed driven as opposed to, uh, you know, farm guys and prospects coming up. But I, I sort of see what has happened with the Reds to be a little bit similar to what's happened with the White Sox, where they had a young core. They had some pretty good guys last year, you know, for the Reds, really Luis Castillo and, and other guys as well. And for the White Sox, you know, Moncada breakout, Eloy, all of these guys. And now they went and they got some guys in free agency and they made some little trades. And now people kind of want to make them the trendy pick. Um, I still just feel like the central is so odd because the teams that I wanted to see get better really didn't, you know, with the Cubs and the Brewers, who I think are probably going to regress again and the Cardinals, but I'm just inclined to, it just feels like the Cardinals division to lose. So they're still my pick. I was talking with my mom actually about this just, two days ago, um, and we were going back and forth about this. But I do think the Reds are going to make a huge impression in that division, and I wouldn't be surprised if they manage a wild card, though I don't think I'm going to pick them. But I'm always buying the idea of these teams making these kinds of improvements because it's so exciting, right? We haven't talked about the Reds like this since, you know, prime Joey Votto and when Chapman was on that team and all of that, and I'm all for talking about different teams and these kinds of things happening. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's a lot of interesting stories in the National League. There are so many teams that are going to have a shot at it. And there, a big question is, you know, the Dodgers didn't do a whole heck of a lot this offseason. No offense to Blake Trinan. Uh, our buddy Jim Duquette of uh, MLB SiriusXM thinks, thinks they haven't done enough. Like, they're not really – they could win the division again, but they're, are, are they a World Series roster he doesn't think they did enough. What do you think about about Dodger Blue? And you know, we'll see if they get Mookie Betts. But if they don't, have they done? In your mind, have they done enough? Do you, do you still think they're a World Series contender? I do think they are, just because that roster is so good. Cody Bellinger is so good, and he's only getting better. I think Corey Seager had a really underrated season. I think Walker Bueller is about to become like. We did these uh, top tens for uh, MLB Network by position. I think I had Walker Bueller like six um, amongst starting pitchers, but I think he's about to become a perennial like top three to five guy. And so I I think that that roster, as it's currently constructed, is still a World Series contender as they've been the last four years at this point. But 
you know, I think it's interesting that the Diamondbacks got better. I think they got appreciably better. And I do think maybe we won't be looking at, you know, them winning the division by 20 plus games again. Uh, But I don't know. I just don't. There's a lot of really good teams in the National League, as you're saying. But I'm not sure that there's another team that stands out to me as as no doubt as the Dodgers are at this point. I mean, the Braves, I wanted to see get a pitcher and they didn't. Um, you know, the Nationals definitely was great to retain Strasburg or, you know, re-sign him in free agency, I guess. But uh, there's still some question marks there. I mean, we are talking about a team that had a lot of flaws and managed to win the World Series. So I'm just not sure that there's another overwhelming favorite. And that's why I still feel like it, it has to be the Dodgers. But I wouldn't be surprised if one of these other teams manages to emerge, even just because the Dodgers have been there for so long and it hasn't worked that at a certain point, maybe it just completely stops working, you know? Yeah, you know, and I I, I think about this season and I think about what we're going to be battling with. I just, I cannot wait. I I think every single time Houston comes to town, the A's, Astros, the Astros know the A's are one of the teams that complain to Major League Baseball about the cheating. We got Mike Fires and that whole deal. I, I know maybe not nationally people think what a great rivalry, but I think we all know locally this Astros A's things, uh, th- th- this series in 2020 is going to be electric. Yeah, I, I think it will. I mean, certainly, I think people at this point know how electric that stadium can be. I think that, you know, the wild card game was a great way to sort of showcase that, even though, unfortunately, the A's were sort of out of the game pretty early on with the leadoff home run. But I think that that was a good, you know, chance to really put, uh, put it on display and you know it's loud really loud there's drums all of this stuff going on and it will be really interesting it will be really exciting I just hope that you know it's so tough but my whole feeling with all of this has just been that I just want to see players be happy and successful and you know the camaraderie is one of the things I really love seeing on the field and so I hope that it is a fun rivalry in the sense of rivalry and not to bitter or nasty though I'm sure there will be moments but I mean there's no question like the idea of a Thursday you know Astros A's game being one of the loudest games of the season like I love that idea you know just like at its baseball level just looking at the decibel level or something like that and you know I think that I'm sure we're going to see a lot of really clever signs that's another thing um, that I'll certainly be on the lookout you know in all those crowd shots oh no doubt about it give me you know, what excites you about 2020, the season coming up here? Oh, my goodness. So many things. You know, I forget. Oh, my gosh. Someone asked me this the other day, and I, like, made the joke, but I wasn't joking that I couldn't, you know, choose just one. But um, I will try to. <laughs> but I think that, what you know, one of the things that really stands out to me, and I'm thinking about the National League, and I'm thinking about the NL East because you asked about that just now, and these young players, maybe it's a cop out now. I'm going to say like a bunch of names, but like we saw Juan Soto and we saw, you know, him really emerge in the postseason, And I'm so excited for him to have that stage and that gravitas and everything else, you know, heading into this season and really be able to embrace that and get the attention that he deserves. And Raleigh Cunha Jr. almost had a 40, 40 season. And those two guys in the same division, it's been fun since they were rookies, you know, and you could have made a great argument for either to win rookie of the year. And, I'm excited to see that continue to grow. Pete Alonso. I mean, even just in the National League East alone, there's a ton of really fun names. But I'm also excited for guys like Jack Flaherty, you know, who really, I mean, that second half was absolutely incredible. It was borderline, you know, 2015 Arietta like And 
to get to see him do that for a full season. So I'm just really excited for the future of the game to be on display. And that's always true, but it feels like we have a really, really special crop of young guys right now. And, you know, hopefully we're going to see just a lot of really exciting feats from them over the course of the season. Great stuff as always. 2020, we're going to want you on all the time on A's Cast Live. You are the best, Sarah, and uh, continued success, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Best of luck with everything. Well, thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We want to thank the Hall of Famer Jason Stark. We want to thank Jesse Rogers from ESPN in Chicago, Mike Farron from Sirius XM and the Arizona Diamondbacks, and Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.